Earlier this week, I was talking to a friend and I got excited. I got excited about business. I got excited about a new marketing tactic. I just got excited. And she looked at me and went, you are such a startup geek. You are such an entrepreneurial geek. And for a moment, I thought to myself, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And then I thought I would embrace my inner geekiness. I am. I love learning new things. I love being a geek. I love the data and I want to embrace my geekiness in business and Marvel and Lego and life because the fun is in the details. And today we are going to get geeky. So hold on to your hat. Get ready because this is the geeky episode of Advanced YouTube Stuff. The extraordinary belongs to those that created. Rebelling against business plans and debt rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun, and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So we are back for episode 10 of The Rebel Coaching Series with Andrew Alinda. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Alan, so great to be back. I am extremely excited for today's event. Me too. I've been looking forward to this a lot. Basically, I think we should name this Matt and Rob Unchained. That's <laughs> what the episode is going to be. We've got Pack with us, Matt from mattesley.com, and we've got Rob. We're not entirely sure where Rob is from anymore. No, I'm not either. No, I just sort of exist. So I'll accept that. Excellent. <laughs> so we have the two YouTube experts, Matt and Rob. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for being with us. Pleasure. Pleasure as always. Absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh, keeping you listening, keeping you writing down all of these notes because uh, she's going to have to to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> now, normally I spend my time on these episodes going, this is how it fits with normal business and taking the principles and making them apply. I'm going to do less of that this time and just let Matt and Rob lead us through the details I just want you to know that whether you're running a podcast, running a blog, running any type of business, the principles remain the same. Like the details are different because YouTube will call it a certain thing. Spotify calls it something else. Like the details are different. But the principles of business apply no matter the business. So that having being said, we are off to the races with Matt and Rob. Where do you want to start, Matt and Rob? Well, I think we should start with just the fundamental concept that everything we're going to say today is going to be far too much to apply straight away. This is stuff that you can expand on and develop with every single video you do. And I like to call it the art of continuous improvement. I'm sure plenty of other people say the same thing. Uh, the Japanese term is Kaizen. Uh, if I'm saying that correctly. I learned that from business school way back when, and it's never left me. I love the fact you're just always improving things. So just bear that in mind before we begin, and uh, we'll start with a bit of branding. But Matt. Yeah, so basically just the saying, general arc we get... Sorry, what was that? <laughs> I was just going to say, just saying, that that initial opening statement from you uh, terrifies me. <laughs> the idea <laughs> that it all can't, can't be done in one go as... Somebody who, when it comes to YouTube, I'm quite type A. So whew, this is this is going to be scary. I've got pen at the ready, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> your YouTube channel will never be finished. Your website will never be finished. Your business will never be finished. Like, it would be boring if it was. 
Like, what are you going to do? Sit on the beach and have a Mai Tai? That's it. That gets boring after a few months, let me tell you. You need something to do. (laughs) There's always another level. And that is awesome. So, Matt, take us into that level before another one of the cuts us off halfway through a sentence. (laughs) Okay. So the general arc we're going to take for this, just to start off, is we're going to start with all the businessy stuff to begin with and some of the lessons that I've learned throughout my sort of journey of doing this. Then we're going to do a little summary on some of the video stuff halfway through, touch on some of the things we have discussed before and also put a few new things in there. And then towards the end, we're going to do a sort of post-video analytics chat, community chat, long-term, bigger picture chat as well. Starting with the business side of things, let's get into branding real quick because, Andrew, you're kind of at this stage now. I guess starting from the beginning for people who are thinking of starting a business or you know wanting to do something of their own, don't get stuck in to the nitty gritty of branding to begin with, to start with, because it will just bog you down. You won't know what you want to do. You won't know what you stand for. You won't know what colors to use or anything like that. Just chuck loads of rubbish out there until your message begins coming together into something that actually makes sense and you can basically summarize in one sentence. So Andrew's at the perfect stage now where he's done a lot of videos, he's building a website, he's doing all sorts of things and he can start figuring out what his brand is. But don't do that from the start. You can even enlist your audience to help you with this. I've done this. I've reached out to my audience and I actually had a guy who's designed me new logos, he's designed me t-shirts, he's done all things because apart from you, The next best person who knows your brand is your audience. And so use them. They're really good for that. And it's especially useful if you're working on YouTube or online media in general. If you want to get really serious, you could, of course, look into a branding package, like from someone on Fiverr or from a more established business, yada, yada, yada. Moving into branding a little bit further beyond that, there's one little tip here that I learned on the Smart Passive Income podcast that I really liked. It's episode 200 and... It is on deleting a third of your content to triple the traffic, which I think is mental, but I can tell you that it works both on a theoretical level and in practice as well. I've wiped entire series from my YouTube channel. I've wiped entire videos. It tends to be stuff I've edited. It tends to be stuff that's rubbish. It's rubbish, but it's because it doesn't stand for my brand. It's stuff that I threw out there to begin with, and it was fine while I was still figuring things out, but long-term makes no sense being there, delete it because a newbie coming to your channel will look at it and think, hang on, he was doing that one minute. Now he's doing these really cool things, but what's all this other rubbish stuff? I don't know what I'm getting here. I'm not going to sign up. So episode 200, Smart Passive Income podcast, deleting a third of your content for triple the traffic. Really, really good insight. So cheers to that. That's really interesting. So there's two things I want to pick out of that. So the first one is when you talk about branding, so I understand and internalize branding as the sort of colors you use, the tone of voice um, you use, what sort of fundamentally, like even what sort of supporting platforms you're on, right? So obviously YouTube is my centralized platform. I use Instagram to support that. There are some people that use YouTube and Twitter. There's some people that use YouTube and TikTok. All of that kind of comes under branding. When, When you say branding, what are we talking about here? Just to strip it back a little bit, just to make sure that I understand. I would say that branding for me is how quickly can you convey your message to a newcomer on your channel? So can your brand be summarized in one sentence? For example, my brand is taking your woodworking to the next level. Oh, is it? Yes. I thought it was how big can you get your hair in one year? (laughs) Well, that's my other business, Rob Sharp. (laughs) Taking your woodworking to the next level, take your wood, but people sign up and they know 
okay, I know what I'm going to get out of this. I've got general warm colors that kind of go with that woodworking. I wouldn't necessarily want cold colors like blue and greens and stuff. It tends to be sort of oranges and things like that. But all of my message or all of my brand, I should say, is built around that one message of taking your woodworking to the next level. And I weave stories throughout that. I create videos throughout that. That's how I inform reviews. That's how I inform my entertainment videos. It's either about getting people into woodworking to start with, taking their woodworking to the next level from novice to beginner, beginner to intermediate, intermediate to advanced. It's all about that progression. And so that's how I would summarize branding. Matt, how long did it take you to work that out into such a simple thing? Three years. And that was weekly videos at At times. Yeah, two or three videos a week. So to the people listening to this, like brand is not always a quick and easy thing to figure out. Put something out there, start. And like, that's why I love Matt's advice of don't care too much, just start. But once you've done like a year, 18 months, you've started to figure out what you're doing. People have started to comment and you start to work it out. And then eventually you get down to something concise and people go, oh, that's wonderful. That's so concise. And then no one realizes, well, it took me three years of pain to get there. (laughs) So just... It's okay. We just need to relax. But having that very clear, this is what I'm doing. This is who I do it for, just makes life so much easier for everyone. Yeah. Everyone. There's some really good books on it. We always recommend building a story brand. I can't remember the author. He's also got another one called Marketing Made Simple, I believe. Both really good books on basically everything I said there, consolidating your message down into one succinct thing that just covers everything i don't think i've enjoyed a, a non-fiction book so much as building a story brand it's very good it's a very so good book. compelling would strongly recommend so moving on from branding because we've got a lot to cover we do let's uh, get into products real quick not a whole lot to say here other than diversifying across multiple platforms don't feel like your website is your only way to sell products i sell digital plans for some of my products but i also have them listed on etsy I've also got things listed on Pinterest. So like pictures of the products that I sell as finished items, those then link to my website. I just leave them there. They get traffic. But Etsy is quite a good one. eBay is also another good place. You could get other people to host your products on their stores. Instagram and Facebook are getting bigger for that stuff. Instagram and Facebook. Don't feel like your website is your one and only way of selling products. In fact, I've got people from Etsy who buy my products, like they buy the workbench plans and then find the workbench video afterwards after buying the plans, which is really weird. It's a good way of diversifying and it's an easy way of doing it as well without having to create a whole video. With regards to drop shipping and merchandise, we've spoken about this before, but just to kind of summarize it, minimize your losses by drop shipping products instead of buying bulk stock and then hoping that people will buy them. Use drop shipping to test different designs, test different sizes, see what sells the most. And then once you get all of that analytics, buy them in bulk, sell them there for higher margins, but don't do it to start with. Just do little bits of experimenting. Moving on to affiliate links. (laughs) Getting a method of organizing from the start is crucial. Probably the the biggest hindrance I think I've had in my entire channel from start to finish because I didn't do that. We've tried multiple times to clean them up. I've spoken with various companies like kit.co. I've spoken to the founder of geniuslink.co utter nightmare to try and consolidate because I'm so far down the track now. Yeah, let's just rewind to say that what we're talking about is the fact that these affiliate links that hopefully you guys exist from us talking about in the past, 
these are stuff that we've put in the description of videos for the last, well, you've done it for the last three, four years. And the problem is because they are a URL and they send to a fixed point, usually this is how Matt started and how we uh, continued on. Because they go to a fixed point, if that fixed point changes, and we had this with kit.com, they lost their uh, domain name, had to create kit.co. Every single link in the background had a meltdown because it no longer knew where to go. Yeah, I lost a, lost a lot of income. And I had to spend a lot of that time fixing all of my links. So having a centralized way of <laughs> centralizing them, yeah. should I say, from the get-go is really important, organizing them. Now you've got kit.co for this. They said that they're going to keep that domain when I spoke to them personally. So that's a safe option now. Kit.co, really good for centralizing affiliate links. Uh, I won't explain too much about it, but it makes sense when you go there. The other one is Genius Link, which is actually what powers Kit, but it's a paid service and they actually have link health monitors on there. And you'll get alerts when links start sending people to the wrong item. They can find places that give you higher margins, I think. They can also send you to different suppliers. So for example, it's not all based on Amazon. You could set up an affiliate scheme with Walmart or something like that. Incredible piece of software. I've only come across it recently, but Genius Link is amazing for affiliate links. Andrew. Cool. So I recently started using Genius Link as well. And the thing I found frustrating, so just for anyone that doesn't know, Genius Link is a really great way of, uh, if you have an Amazon affiliate link, for example, and it only routes to the UK Amazon page, it would mean that if you have a somebody based in the US that clicks on your link, it would pivot them to the US version of Amazon. So you'll be able to get your affiliate commission despite them going to a different Amazon domain, right? Mm-hmm. I found on Genius Link that I... So I tested this out by getting my girlfriend to order something on Amazon through my affiliate link. and it didn't show up. And I'm, I was wondering whether that was being caused because of the middleman genius link was playing. A little bit of a tangent, but I'm just wondering how how certain are you that all the commission that kind of goes through your third party links actually is tagged back to your official affiliate account, whether that be Amazon or somebody else? Well, I, I see it on kit.co via the analytics because that is powered by Genius Link and signing up with Genius Link allows me to kind of see those insights. And in fact, the guy I spoke to last week has confirmed that everything is set up okay. So that's more of a technical thing, probably worth bringing that up with Genius Link directly, I guess. But just purely from my experience with Kit and the incredible organization and income that that's gained for me, I can vouch for Genius Link in the fact that it literally powers Kit And I'm very excited. Our next episode actually is going to be entirely about affiliate links because we have so much content this episode. Our next episode is going to be entirely about affiliate links. And we've got Andrew McDonald, which I think you've met. He's uh, created his own version of this called Locally to do the redirect to the local Amazon sites and different pieces. And it's quite interesting. So we will be doing a lot on affiliate links, an entire episode for you listening coming up because it's actually an incredible money-making tool. So we've got that coming up. I'm very excited about that. So we will have more detail for you all. Matt, what's next? Amazing. So kind of to summarize this businessy part, and it's probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned apart from the affiliate links, but it's still the sort of same thing of things getting carried away and things uh, being difficult to control. It's about hiring someone to help you out and the at what point you should do that. 
specifically within this model of YouTube though, because it's a little bit different to traditional businesses. So it's a little bit of a thought experiment here, but YouTube's like having a 24-7 international sales and marketing department. Alan, you mentioned Mr. Money Mustache earlier. He references his videos as little workers for him or something like that, doesn't he? Yeah, he calls them workers in the field. Every blog article he writes is a worker that he's put out there and it's constantly listed on Google, driving traffic to his website. Yeah, he's built these workers and you're doing exactly the same thing through YouTube. That's it. It, YouTube is one little branch of it, but media in general being it posts or videos, photos, podcasts, whatever, they're all like little workers. So as a result, it's quite easy to scale and build leverage as well. So in sort of a more easy way to explain that or a more down-to-earth way, it's the more you add to it, the more momentum it gains. In theory, it's exponential, but... Some videos perform better than others. Some blog posts perform better than others. So it's never really exponential, but in theory, it could be. So the basic concept is as soon as you start putting media online that stays there forever, you stop trading your time for money. So for example, you, you then divorce yourself from, I'm going to do one hour of work to get one hour of pay, or you divorce yourself from, I'm going to work for 10 clients to get paid for 10 clients. Yada, yada, yada. When you put videos out there, it starts working for you. So for example... Those videos can do your advertising while you're there out in the field making sales. They can do your sales while you're out there doing your advertising. They can do your advertising and your sales while you're drinking pina coladas on the beach. It doesn't really matter. But there's... (laughs) Maybe not, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) But you get the picture. They work for you in the background and it can help you offer more with less input in a way. Now, where I'm going with this is when you find your flow and your audience, because I didn't realize I was doing this to start with. I was just putting loads of things out there, building all these different income streams, thinking this is great. It's all coming together. It gets to a point where it turns into a bit of a landslide. And actually, you've got a lot of things to deal with. You've got affiliate links. You've got different payment providers. You've got international payments with different taxation systems, all sorts of things that you've got to deal with. And it just kind of hits you all at once. You're like, wow, this is a lot to handle. So you need to be aware from the start. I'm not saying get one from the start, but at least have a consultation with an accountant or something like that of this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm starting to see. How can we organize this? Do that from the start. Don't get three years down the line like I'm doing now, only just getting accounting software because I did it all through Excel to begin with. It was stupid. The other thing on the same sort of thing is insurance. It is worth saying that in regards to someone in my field where I'm working with sharp things, I'm not giving advice or anything like that, but public liability, professional indemnity, all sorts of things you might want to consider, but it's not worth getting that advice from an insurance broker. Ask other people in your field or in that field that you're hoping to go into because they will give you the best advice. That's what I did. And uh, I got recommended certain insurance packages to suit me, not what the broker told me to go for. So I've been wanting to say that in this podcast for a while (laughs) with regards to don't forget things like that because you are putting yourself out there things will get carried away. And um, yeah, don't let it catch you off guard like it did for me. But also don't worry about doing it from the start because it's not needed. I mean, HMRC haven't stopped calling you. Where's the balance? It's the balance, isn't it? Because if you do all of this stuff before you start, you'll never start. Yeah. But if you leave it to three or four years in, it becomes such a beast and you go, can't be bothered with any of this. And there is a balance of starting, putting out the content and then going, okay, Like, I think, Andrew, it took you about a year or so 
14 months to get your first income, like you needed to have got going for six months or a year, but maybe tracked a few of the expenses and then have that conversation. So this is a very important. So if you're listening to this and you're a year in and you've started making some money, like do exactly what Matt has said. Have those conversations now. Do it right now. Speak to those people. If you haven't started yet, start. Do the first 15, 20 videos, get going, and then you can figure this stuff out on the way. So I think it's that real balance between those two things. Cheers for that, guys. I think that's really important because I'm slowly starting to notice that as well. Before, it was literally like all I needed to do was edit, well, film the video, edit the video, put it out there, reply to my mum, who would be the first person to comment. Now, I am starting to find that things are starting to snowball. I spoke to one of my brothers who's actually an accountant about what I need to think about now that I'm making money that isn't P-A-Y-E or for the Americans listen to this W-2, I think they call it, but um, an, an income that isn't coming from an employer, right? And there, there are a few rules in Britain around earning a thousand pounds, I think, from a hobby that you don't have to declare, but I'm actually on track this tax year to earn more than that from YouTube. So that's something else that I need to think about. Then we've got things like um, <laughs> Alan's cheering, like, yeah. <laughs> then we've got things like, you're right, I've, insurance is something I've never really thought about. I kind of film my videos from a point of, this is what I'm doing. If you want to do it as well, then great. But then I've also labeled some of them tutorials. So there's an element of, hey guys, this is a good idea, you try it as well. If somebody did something silly, you know, and then held me liable, I don't actually know what the rules are around that. But it's, like you said, it's something I haven't thought of that I probably should start to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I think it's quite easy to paint YouTube, especially in our kind of age group where we've grown up with it as a sort of entertainment thing, a jokey kind of thing, not really a serious job, when actually it does get to a point where it's like, actually, you do need to start considering these more serious things. I've heard of people, some of my audience is based in countries where they like to sue each other. I won't name them, but you can obviously guess. Uh, And I have heard instances of people having cases against them in my field where they've given a wrong piece of advice or something like that, and someone's had a go at them. So YouTube, although it's quite informal and fun a lot of the time, there are things that I've, yeah, I just think need to be said about it where it's, yeah. You just got to be careful in places. And there is a duty of care to every content provider to go, actually, I'm giving advice. I'm giving ideas to people. Katie and I, we run a course on how to take control of your finances and we're not financial advisors. We have to be very careful. And we actually also care very much that we help people make the best decisions for their stuff. So there is a duty of care. Same on this podcast. Like we care about the people listening. And we want to help them make the best decisions. I go to great lengths to say you do not need to borrow money to start a business, which that relieves a lot of the tension. If I was saying to people, go and buy a hundred grand and it didn't go well, they would be upset. But I actually spend a lot of time going, here's how I think the best ways are for you to start to learn, take out the risk. And I think we all have a duty of care for those people who are listening to us and part of our group. And here's something to think about. Before we move on slightly, one last piece for the British audience. What Andrew was referencing is the £1,000 trading allowance. So in a year, you can make up to 1000 British pounds. 
and not pay tax on it. So if you do a mini experiment for your business and you make £800 and then you decide not to push forward and don't make any more money that year, that's okay. If you make £1,200, then you have to actually file a self-assessment saying that's how much you've made and say that that's what you've done. I actually think that's an incredible tool the British government has given entrepreneurs to be able to test ideas uh, because you can test without worrying. And then if you're heading towards the thousand, then we need to get your paperwork in order, get everything done, get all that sorted. One last piece, it is profit. So if you've spent a fortune on a setup for the garden, you know, you've bought all the wood, you've set all that stuff up, that goes against your profit. So it is profit, it's not income. So there we go. That's enough on taxation, I think, because (laughs) that's a subject I could talk about for days. (laughs) Matt and Rob, back to you. You never thought you'd hear the crossover between tax and YouTube, would you? No. (laughs) No. No, It's a sad situation, but it's got to happen. Yeah. Anyway, off you go. So right now it's my turn to just throw a ton of information at you. So we're moving on to content and... I'm going to cover the sort of fundamental pillars that, that make YouTube videos great, essentially, and with a hell of a lot of uh, proof to back it up in regards to other subscribers, other subscribers, other YouTubers who you should subscribe to, to uh, find out how they do things to uh, sort of mix it up a bit. And hopefully I'm not going to keep on saying the same people that I've mentioned in previous weeks, but uh, <laughs> I, I've got some new ones in the list, I promise. So fundamentally, these pillars are energy, visual and auditory movement. That sounds uh, really boring. Engagement, title, thumbnail. And it sounded like I was going to say another one, but I ran out. There wasn't anything there. So <laughs> starting with energy, let's let's get straight into this because this is, this is a really interesting one that it combines a lot of stuff that I've said in the past, but I've really seen it come to fruition in recent weeks with my new job. And so my new job involves filming people who haven't been in front of a camera before talking about stuff that they they know very well and immediately getting blindsided by the fact that there's now a shiny piece of glass in their face and they don't know how to react to that. The reason why I'm saying this is that if you're going to get into sort of making YouTube videos, if you're going to try and sort of push yourself to become sort of known within your industry, you've got to be comfortable with that camera and you've got to just realise that the energy that you put forward, even if you feel weird in the moment doing it, is going to really pay dividends later on. So when you start, you just, you've got to get that energy level high. So first reference, someone I've said before, but Dream, Minecraft YouTuber, 24.3 million subs. That's 24.3. Crazy amount of um, subscribers. He's essentially playing a game from start to finish that anyone can do anytime, and people have done it before. But the energy of his videos always remains high by the end of it. It feels like you've run a marathon. You can't believe that you are so stressed the entire time. I'm not saying everyone should make stressful videos, but they are engaging. So that's point number one. I'm going to try and speed up because uh, (laughs) I've got so many more to go through. So the next one is, are you confident about what you're saying? It's all well and good having the, the sort of Talking the talk, you sound like you're talking the talk anyway, but can you walk the walk? I had to I had to do that. That's I? what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be really confident about every single part of what you're saying. If you're confident, if you've put in the research beforehand, if you've written the script or something like that, or given yourself a few points, your video's immediately going to push itself to the top because so many people are just going, right, I'm going to press record. Let's see what happens. A little pre-prep, 
little bit of uh, confidence in your speaking because you've already you, you know what you're going to say it's it's really going to work out for you reference here being marcus brownlee 14.3 million subscribers researches stuff to the nth degree and he sounds incredible while doing it because he knows his stuff and he's prepared it even if he's only uh, dealt with a piece of tech that he's reviewing for a couple of days he's put his research in straight up before the video now it's all well and good saying that but don't go and think that you have to record it all at once. Realize the fact that videos are historical features of the past. Essentially, you can take an hour to create a video. You could take a day. You could take a week. You could take a month. Some people take a year and create a movie like Bo Burnham on Netflix. Incredible thing. You, you got to watch it. What was the name of it? Inside, I think. Inside. Yeah, that, that was it. Incredible movie. Point is, he made it over 365 days, locked in one space, in one room, creating this music. And it was never going to be as good as that in the space of a week or a month or six months. It took time to create it and to give yourself time to create YouTube videos. Uh, Stuff Made Here is a great one to look at. 2.94 million subscribers. He barely posts anything, but when he does, the content is premium because he's built something, he's created something, and then he speaks about something that he's incredibly passionate in and has clearly put a lot of work into. And then to wrap up the energy point, the whole concept is your energy is infectious. There's a reason why I'm just pushing forwards right now and just keeping the energy levels up. Because to be honest, I'm just talking about a few subscribers about how to say words and how to edit videos. It's not the most thrilling content in the world, but I'm hopefully keeping you awake by the fact that there's an element of energy while I'm speaking. So even if you don't like games, I'm going to reference an old one from the past. Believe me, new ones are coming in. Mr. Beast, 65 million subscribers. His videos are 10 minutes long. He doesn't seem to pause for breath. He's continuously just going for it. You don't have to do the same thing. You can lay it back a bit. You can stay calm. But at the end of the day, there's an element of energy that needs to be required within your video to keep people engaged. So moving on from that engagement point, we're talking visual and auditory movement. So really obvious ones first, but I've said before, are your videos eye-catching even when muted? Uh, there's a brilliant channel here called, I knew I was going to regret putting this in here, Kuzers Kusakt, um, otherwise known as In a Nutshell. I don't really know where they came from or, or, or why that, I believe it's like a, a German phrase for In a Nutshell, but I've, I've probably got the language completely wrong. But 15.4 million subscribers, purely animated videos, talking about absolutely anything. But like, if you just had that playing on the TV in the background muted, and you saw the colors, you saw the vibrancy, you saw the animations your eyes would be drawn to it regardless of the fact that there's no audio. So think about that as you're creating your videos. But the same is also true. Are your videos also ear-catching as opposed to eye-catching? So can the audio in the background draw your attention even if the viewer isn't watching that video specifically and keeping up with it? I'm going to reference Dream again here. I've lied, actually, by this point. I'm just using the same people over and over again. I promise (laughs) it it will improve. But the point is, you hear them in the background and the energy. It's always going regardless of whether you're seeing the visual. Visuals. There we go. Got it out in the end. So uh, next point is, if someone hovers over your video when they're scrolling through YouTube, is it going to look stagnant or is it going to make people curious? Peter McKinnon's a particularly great one for this, 5.44 million subscribers. You hover over his video when you go to YouTube, you get the sort of the pre-play before you even start watching it, and you see movement. He's not someone who's creating action movies. I mean, sometimes he does sort of action-based videos, but even when he's sitting in front of a camera, not doing a lot, 
the camera movements and the panning and the way he's shifting his hands and the body language, it has that movement, it has that drive. So when you pan over it, it looks like it's going to be engaging and it starts to make people click. And once they've uh, clicked through, the question is, are you using color, camera movements and transitions to make your videos pop? Have a look at Corridor Crew with 4.95 million subscribers and you'll find that as soon as you just get into it, they are switching about different locations. They've even, in fact, got an A-line and a B-line in terms of stories. So if you uh, ever used to watch Mythbusters, they had the main myth that they were focusing on. Then you had a little side team working on maybe it was two or three other myths on the side. Mm-hmm. I believe that they sort of had the A thing and the B thing and they sw- swapped out. And it just creates this movement that you wouldn't have got just with one part. But because you've got the two stories you can jump between, again, it's it's that word that you're coming back to being engagement, which is a lovely segue into my next pillar, which is engagement. Do you want to say something? Any I... time for questions. <laughs> Have a breath. There's no room for breath. Someone give that man an oxygen mask. Someone help him. I'll tell you what, I am so pleased with how well it's going. I haven't fumbled too many times and, and that's brilliant for me. I was sat here making notes and my fingers couldn't keep up with what you were saying. So if you're listening to this, you may need to replay it several times to get all of those different examples. And what we're doing here is giving you the geekiest possible episode for you to be able to download, listen, and just take notes as you go on. So make sure you pause this, take notes, dissect it. Let's get geeky, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's a really good example of the, the audio shift. (laughs) <laughs> That's it. Yeah, bringing it in there. What, what was that? Uh, the proximity effects when you get closer to a microphone, you get a slightly lower end sound. And it's just that emotion that starts to come through. Well, it's the variance. So something I'd like to build on what Rob is saying is it's the variance. If you always speak at the same tempo, it numbs out. And I don't care whether that's fast or slow. It just numbs out. You need change to create that. And you can create that change with your voice, the position to the microphone, the speed, the light, the ca- like it doesn't matter what it wants, but it's variance. So you need those changes throughout. Otherwise, like if we had Rob speaking on fast forward for an hour, you could not take it. No one could. But if he changes, and it's not just Rob, it's anyone. We love you, Rob. No, I think Alan's uh, trying to tell me something. I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Pace yourself. How much more than that? Uh, too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the variance. And that, I think, for everyone listening to this, I don't care what your content is. In a blog, it's the variance. If it's just big paragraphs of text, you need a picture, you yeah. need some dialogue, you need an infographic. If it's a podcast, if it's just one tone and one thing. So it's the variance. And that's the bit I would love to add. So whatever number that is, 57, add in vocal variety, variance, and change. <laughs> yeah, number 57 out of what, 300? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I better speed up here, uh, but also slow down because you need the variance. Oh, it's the saucy bit. Right, engagement. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I don't need that. I need to focus. So into engagement. There are three main points here. Are you creating content in a way that will keep people watching? Sounds obvious, but does it, you can go from two angles. Uh, Does it entertain enough for people to just sit around and enjoy it? Or does it inform people enough so much so that they don't ever want to click off? 
because there's that balance. You can be really entertaining and people are just going to watch you because this is funny or this is, I don't know, they're building something. It's great. But if there's sort of this weird limbo where you're sort of building something and it's, it's, it's not fun, then you've got to have the informative side to it. It's got to have details and information that's going to keep people watching and keep people wanting to come back for more. Now, I don't have a specific YouTube channel to look at, but think about movie trailers. They are paced and designed in a way that you're going to watch it from start to finish because it always feels like there's something that you're going to miss if you don't keep watching. So think about that with your videos too. The second point here I've got is, are you giving people reasons to stay to the end of the video? Are you creating clues and paths during your story, during your, uh, whether it's entertainment or informative video, to say, right, stick around to the end because you won't believe that it actually worked if it was in terms of entertainment or let me explain to you what this does a little bit later in the video if it was educational. That sort of stuff is going to keep people watching. A really fascinating YouTube channel that I really, really like. It's ridiculous. It's a YouTube channel called Lockpicking Lawyer. He has 3.27 million subscribers. His videos are top-down views of a tabletop recorded with, I believe, what looks like an iPhone in terms of uh, the image quality. Decent enough quality to making uh, YouTube videos with, bearing in mind he's got 3.27 million subscribers. And the video is about three to five minutes long, and it's just him picking locks. I've never seen him <laughs> be unable to pick a lock, but you click on the video, you know what you're going to get, and... It's just, it's fascinating because he'll explain how he's going to do it. He'll explain the flaws and then he'll show it in action and then he'll do it again just to prove that he's not a fake and it's beautiful content. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. It yeah. really is. So yeah, that, that's a great one to look at. If you're just thinking, how am I going to make videos when I don't have a massive film set or cameras or lighting? Just get an iPhone above a desk and start making things or in front of your face. It's really that easy. Next one final pillar of engagement. Are you thinking long term? Could you be including hints within your videos to other videos that are coming later? So Stuff Made Here, another one that I've mentioned before, 2.94 million subs. As he's creating his video, as he's creating his project, midway through, right when you're entirely engaged with the video, he'll say, oh, and you won't want to miss, I've started working on this. So make sure you subscribe because I'm going to be showing you that video in a couple of weeks. That stuff keeps people sticking around for longer. So that's engagement. That's wrapped that up. I'm really going to whiz through these next ones because there is so much more we've got to get through. I've only got two more, um, but Alan has something to say. Well, before we just move on to the final two, which you do not want to miss the end of this episode, uh, make sure you subscribe to get linked to the affiliate episode that's coming next because that's going to have huge value to build on this. Back to Rob. See, that was perfect. That was perfect. I didn't even notice the change of flow in information. Nothing changed. That's <laughs> <laughs> the worst ever transition. <laughs> yeah, we probably got 12 unsubscribes from that random go. insert. Yeah, keep going, Rob. Right, okay. So, rapid fire. Title. Are you going to pique people's curiosity? Example. Mark Rober. Look at any of his videos with 19.1 million subscribers. His most recent one is... Shark versus 21 GoPros. It's not clickbait. There is sharks. There are 21 GoPros. Who wins? I don't know. I'm curious. I'm going to click. Mm -hmm. I did. You did. Are you creating clickbait? So referencing the previous one, he's not creating clickbait because he's actually doing what he says on the tin. Don't create clickbait because what will happen is you'll get high CTR, click-through rate, which is great. YouTube's going to love you. Yeah, this is working really well. 
and then they're going to find that the viewer has clicked off within the first 10 to 15 seconds because it's not what they expected and therefore your video is going to be shoved into a dark pit somewhere and no one's ever going to see it because you lied. Remember that time we titled a video, the roof fell on our heads? Yes. It was just a bit of Celotex. It hit me in the head, so we decided to title it, the roof fell on our heads. I would argue... It very well. Well, I thought it was a great title. (laughs) I tried my best with that one. Put it this way, we're telling you these things because we've (laughs) tried these things. I mentioned a series that I deleted earlier. That was one of the series that I deleted. And I edited it (laughs) and created the title and the thumbnail. In fact, I did the whole series. Yep. Gone. Yeah, oh, we love you. <laughs> we love you. Start another channel called uh, like what we deleted from Matt's channel. <laughs> I mean, that's actually not a bad idea. Great idea. But <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Uh, are you fitting it within 50 characters? A title within 50 characters is going to show up and not get shortened. So think about that when you're creating your titles. Are you using capitalization to your advantage? Check out Colin first. He's got uh, capitalization for specific parts of his title to really make it pop and stand out. Sounds obvious, but people try and be grammatically correct. Don't worry about it. You're just there to try and get people in to watch your videos. So long as you're not creating clickbait, no one cares about grammar. And are you testing different titles? So there's a guy called Stand Up Maths. He's sort of a comedian slash mathematician, 880,000 subscribers. Believe it or not, he's actually really good. And he created a video the other day talking about how the shape of the football in the Euros was going to help England win. After England lost, he changed the title to how the football should have helped England win. And it's that sort of stuff that it was like, oh, it's a good idea. It is is a really good idea. It makes sense. It keeps it logical and it keeps it it up to date. So think about that. Uh, Are you using terminology that the majority of people will understand? If you look at the Matt Esley channel, we've had it in the past with, I told you I'd reference you, uh, with your plane video. Mm -hmm. People sort of clicked on it and actually sometimes didn't get the right idea of what they were going to see. Yeah, they thought I was, uh, it was about a hand plane and they thought I was building like a little model guided plane or something like that. Yeah, yeah. remote control planes they came for and you gave them nothing. But they still watched the end of the video, judging from the comments, which was quite fun. And are you searching what other creators are doing in your niche? Now, I don't have any reference for this, but just think about it, see what they're doing and work from there. Right, I'm going to keep playing through because otherwise it won't happen. Thumbnail. I'm going to slow down now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I didn't realize how much we'd actually got written down here. But, but this, this is advanced YouTube and you get what you're given. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should break this into 15 episodes. Uh. It's all right. I reckon I can do this in four minutes and then, Matt, you've got 10 minutes for the rest. Yeah. 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 I came here for advanced YouTube. This is what I'm getting. My notepad is literally about to burst into flame. <laughs> Alan, can uh, sorry, Andrew, can you just stop interrupting me? I've got to get through this. <laughs> Look, if the episode goes to an hour 10, an hour 15, we actually did a survey of the audience and asked, what's the length of episode you would most like? And one of the options was, I don't care if the content is good. And 57% of people said, I don't care if the content is good. So for us on podcasting world, it's different because people are listening whilst walking, biking, getting in the car. They can't escape. If you're in the car now, you're stuck with us. No, don't take that as a challenge. Stay where you are. But you know what I mean? The content, that expression we're back to, content is king. If the content is good, I would rather we delivered great value and took a bit longer over it. So Rob, it's okay. Take a breath. Give okay. Matt a hug. Did you just, and then you let's just go for your it. Brow then, didn't you? I did. I, I, well, he did. I, did. <laughs> I saw the camera and I thought, 
I'm particularly shiny today. Oh dear. <laughs> I can understand why. It's, I'm, I'm worked up, but I'm ready to go. We're onto the thumbnail. I'm going to get through this and then Matt can finish up the rest of it, please. So, thumbnails. Ah, right. Does it include your face? If it doesn't, it probably should, because emotion really drives views. Look at how ridiculous with 6.34 million subscribers, they're often dropping objects off of a, I believe it's a 45 meter tall tower in the Australian outback. You would have thought that the thumbnail itself could have been quite cool of just a tower and something dropping, but you need the face in there as well. You need the shock, you need the surprise, you need the oh no sort of face, which I tried to convey through audio, but I don't know, how'd it go? I, I wasn't looking at you, I think it works. Yeah? Yeah. Brilliant. So it's that sort of stuff where you want to convey emotion, even if you don't think it needs it. Split your thumbnail into half or thirds, where one third is your face or one half is your face, and the other half is the topic of your content, because people relate to faces. Uh, The same sort of thing goes for another YouTuber called Veritasium. His content is very scientific, but he includes a lot of his face because he gets the clicks. And Markiplier, he's got 29.6 million subscribers, a ridiculous amount. He primarily does games. And the faces that are created aren't his own. They're sort of graphically enhanced to be obnoxious, which, as you scroll down a page, is going to be eye-catching. So even if it's not exactly your face, it'll be someone else's face, assuming you've got the rights to use their face, then you can, you can make stuff look really interesting and catch people's attention. Right, still on the thumbnail, of course, is it obvious what the centre of attention is? Look at a channel called Winter Garten, 2.33 million subscribers. It's a guy who is a genius making a marble machine that plays music with, I think it's something stupid like 100,000 metal marbles. He's been doing it for years and every thumbnail is on point to exactly what he's speaking about. He doesn't often have his face in there, so maybe he could change it up a bit, but... The focus is in there, so have a look at that. Same thing goes for a channel called The Slow Mo Guys, 14.2 million subscribers. The question I have there is, is it going to stand out amongst the others? Their stuff is all about slow motion content, and you see thumbnails that you wouldn't see anywhere else in life. So can you do that for your own content, whether that's through filming or just fancy editing? The classic phrase, is it painting a picture worth a thousand words? Have a look at a channel called Dangerously Funny with 1.6 million subscribers. It's another gamer. I'll admit he's a little bit unique in terms of his sort of tonality and the way he does things. But check out his thumbnails. They're really on point and, and it just, you don't need to see the title or anything like that to understand what's going on. Which brings me to my next point. If you don't have the title, does your thumbnail say enough? Going back to, as ever, stuff made here. It's simple, yet tells you exactly what's going to happen. The fundamental point to take from all of this in regards to the thumbnail and the title is that click-through rate, or CTR, is the basis of everything. We've said this in the past, but don't forget it. If you don't have this entrance to your channel, this entrance to your video that looks appealing, that looks engaging, that looks interesting, or or just is going to pique someone's curiosity, then people aren't going to get to the video. Sort of, you can look into the analytics for this, your CTR rating should be around, uh, oh, I say should. On a good day, 10% would be amazing on a YouTube video. So so if, if you're seeing sort of single figures, don't worry, that's fine. That stuff usually gets between what? So videos that I have taken off for me, 
as a statistic, usually 4% and above as a click-through rate to begin with. Uh, and when you say taken off, you mean has done well, not that you've taken off the channel. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah as in taken off in terms of performance. So yeah, 4% is a really good sort of baseline, maybe 3%, but that also has to be combined with a good retention because if you're just getting the click-through rate, but you're not getting the retention, you've made clickbait. Mm-hmm. And it's that balance that is going to then push your video through the algorithm to the point where more and more people are going to see it. Right, that's me done. I'm going to have a good day and just leave. That's it. <sighs> we can breathe. <laughs> we can breathe. You can breathe. <laughs> I can breathe. <laughs> oh, a bit of oxygen. I was going to say, Matt's about to get some of the oxygen in the room. He's been deprived for a little bit. <laughs> that is a lot of information i see why you said this has to be about continuous improvement because already i've got a list of youtubers on here and what to kind of watch out for when i go and actually take a look at some of these guys when it comes to taking steps of all of this so like one thing i found is that like say for example sometimes i'll notice i get really low click-through rate on a video and then really high retention and then sometimes that that video might eventually do well um especially in the past, some of those conversations we've had about tweaking some of the thumbnails to maybe drive up some of those click-through rates as well. At what point do you stop optimizing past videos for these sort of things and start primarily focusing on the videos that you've kind of got going forward in the future? Because I could look at all of this information and I could go and tweak a whole load of the thumbnails that I've done as an example and tweak a whole load of the titles is there a point, though, in me just saying, you know what, those are done. I tried what I tried with them, and I'm going to apply a lot of this to my future content. Where would you guys draw that balance? That is a really good question, and it's something that I remember having when I started, and it's a question that I still have now, because I would make videos in my first year, sort of doing a less suboptimal thumbnail, thinking I'll just improve it later. 300 videos later, I still haven't gone back and improved 98% of them. The remaining 2% I have improved and constantly gone back and tested are the high performers, the ones that get me millions of views, the ones that are, they just spike in terms of views. They kind of fluctuate throughout the year. So for example, there's certain videos like how to cut a dovetail joint or what tools to buy that tend to increase before Christmas because people are learning woodworking so they can make presents to give as gifts or they're buying gifts for someone. So for those videos, I will experiment with things. I won't say often, but I've recently done a change for some of them. There was a past live stream that recently just took off the live dovetailing one, changed the thumbnail for that. It was brilliant. But going back and changing everything is simply a waste of time. But optimizing your videos or just content in general that is already high performing to potentially make it better because it's a model that already works. You know that people like it. Let's just get that in front of more people then. Let's just scale it up. Yeah. Can I suggest that if you want to take sort of a basic premise to work with, uh, if you want to look back at sort of historical videos, just go into your content creator on YouTube and see what's doing well in the past month or the past six months and just focus on those top videos in terms of having a bit of an experiment if you've got the time to put into changing thumbnails or titles. Uh, when it comes to new videos and putting them out, maybe what give it two or three weeks of a few changes and a few experiments and then just say, right, that's it. Let's see how well it does with the algorithm and maybe I'll come back to it if it's really doing well. Yeah, in my experience, a 4% click-through rate with a 
50-45% average retention throughout the video usually has about 40 days or so that is recommended to my subscribers. My subscribers watch it. If it sustains that level of engagement, the same click-through rate and the same retention, it gets pushed out to the general public. So I had a video recently that it did that with. Uh, it was how to, I think we referenced it in the past episode, yeah. actually. It's um, how to speed cut a dovetail joint, or I was trying to cut a dovetail joint in a world record time. I was constantly watching the analytics on it, constantly watching the click-through. I changed the thumbnail three or four times, changed the title, switched the titles with the different thumbnails and sort of cross-referenced them for one another, found the perfect formula or at least as far as I could be bothered. Um, and it got to a point where I was consistently getting just under a 5% click-through rate and a 50% retention. 40 days, YouTube decided, this video is good. Let's start recommending it to more people. Now I'm seeing comments from people saying, I've never even considered doing woodworking in the past. I don't even know what a plane does. But this video was amazing. So YouTube will do that. It will test your content with your subscribers. It will test it with a very small pool of your subscribers to begin with. You know, I can look at half my videos and think, wow, I've got 200 and something thousand subscribers now. Why is this video only getting 15,000 views? I've got 230,000 of you waiting <laughs> to watch it, but it will test it with a very small pool. If they like it, bigger pool, bigger pool. And then after, like I said, for me, it's about 40 days. Some people will quote 30, some people will be quicker, but at some point, if it's good and it meets those metrics, it takes off. It will take off. And the rate in which it does that, the thing is with that, actually, when it takes off, YouTube knows that the people it's then recommending it to, it knows that they are not necessarily woodworkers in my in my instance. So they are not necessarily going to watch the entire thing all the way through like a woodworker would do. So it expects that drop off rate on retention. It expects that retention to drop down to 45 or 40% the click-through rate to drop down a little bit. So that is to be expected. If it goes up, then you're in the wrong industry. You need to start promoting to the general public, not woodworkers. <laughs> but yeah, those metrics for me are what works. They're what I've heard quoted works. And if you can get 4% click-through rate, 50% retention, just let it sit for a while for 40 days and it'll do its own thing. I'm sitting really happy because like a lot of my videos actually hit close to those numbers as well maybe it's different because obviously fitness is a slightly different industry but yeah that 50% retention is usually what I really hammer home like got some videos like knocking at the door 60 mm -hmm. nice but yeah when you get that in, in a world where our attention spans are just so piss poor you know the idea that somebody's gonna sit and watch especially when you publish a longer video and people still stick around you're like okay I clearly did something right Mm. But yeah, yeah, I completely agree with, with what you're saying there. Yeah, so 60% retention is insane. What what about the click-through rate? Weirdly, the click-through rate on the video with 60% retention is decent. So 60 is the highest I've ever seen. 61% is on my video calisthenics for absolute beginners. I, I forget the title, but it's probably one of my oh, yeah. most popular videos. The click-through rate is really, really, is decent. I think it's about like, six or seven odd percent okay and it's it's weird though because i've tried to replicate the exact not the exact thumbnail but the exact kind of formula that i produced that video with with a different video and it wasn't like for like it just it didn't carry over and i think there's sometimes when a topic can be so because because a lot of what i was doing in that video was debunking myths and making things extremely simple and then 
um, when I tried it for a different video, maybe something slightly slightly less um, obscure and slightly easier to understand, the same thing didn't carry over. So it is interesting to sometimes toy around with these sort of levers that you can pull because what works for one topic might not specifically work for another. But it's about trying all of these and, uh, yeah, just seeing what works really. Okay. Well, this this is quite nitty-gritty stuff then, so I like this. So you've got a high click-through rate and you've got a high retention. That means you've got an amazing video. So what is stopping that from taking off? Views, likely. And why are you not getting the views? It's because people aren't, and this is a guess, but sort of breaking it down, I would guess that people are not searching for calisthenics for beginners as much as other things. Calisthenics is quite a specific word. And if YouTube were to take that video and it says, wow, high click-through rate, high retention, amazing. Let's start recommending this to the general public. It does so but it's met with a barrier because they don't know what calisthenics is or they're not interested in taking part in it. So you've got this kind of, you're pushing a tutorial on someone who doesn't necessarily want that tutorial as opposed to me with the entertainment side of things of I'm going to speed cut a dovetail joint. Do you want to see what it looks like? Let's have a laugh. You can push that to a much broader audience. And so they're more likely to get sucked in. So that for me is where that video might be hitting a bit of resistance. If, I don't know, maybe if the title was changed to something a little bit more human, so it wasn't, <laughs> not human, but a little bit more dumbed down for us mere mortals yeah. like you, <laughs> I wonder if it would get more views because it's got the metrics behind it. It's got everything there. That might be worth experimenting with because you know that you're onto a willing form of that already. It would be cool to sort of try and play off the whole myths concept as well i I think yes. like the, the myths of something just trying to remove that calisthenics it comes back to the the title mentioning that we we're saying before and and trying to name stuff in a way that anyone will understand it regardless of whether they know stuff i literally didn't know the word calisthenics until this podcast i, I honestly didn't know it was a thing and and now that i do it's like oh great it's all this sort of stuff but i had no clue and if i'd been shown your video i'd be like what does that mean that's too advanced for me even though it says beginners that it sounds like it's beginner's uh, rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it's already out of my league. Which actually comes down to search volumes for different terms. So what are the search volumes for the word calisthenic versus uh, fitness in the park versus body weight? Like, what are those search terms? And if there's a thousand people searching calisthenics, there might be 200,000 people searching body weight exercises. And I don't know, like we'd have to look at those numbers. And I think this is where you get into the real fun stuff is what are people actually searching for and then showing up, providing that content that has those good metrics for those terms. Yeah, 100% uh, agree. So again, pinging back to some of the advice that you guys gave me way back when, one of the tools I've been using a lot recently is Answer the Public. Yes. To really get an understanding of what people are looking for, the sort of uh, semantics around what they're searching for as well. And I do that a lot. When you guys mention about making things more accessible, because you, you're right, my, my channel is all about making things accessible. And if people don't understand the semantics of the title, you know, that's, that's an accessibility criteria that I'm not ticking off. So what portion would you almost target your videos to when making videos towards people that understand the concept already they're kind of already ingrained you know maybe they've been into fitness they just don't understand this aspect of fitness they want to learn cool new things but they're at a very low level 
versus somebody who literally has never picked up a dumbbell in their life, in my example. They've hopped onto YouTube. I guess my question is, what degree of my content should be tailored to my niche versus trying to attract people outside of that niche? So for me, this is where I mentioned this previously. It's my sort of video web of things. So I had this top tier video, the dovetailing video that I wanted to film, which is quite advanced. Sort of intermediate woodworkers would aspire to cut something like that. Beginner woodworkers would have absolutely no chance whatsoever. Hey, I perfected it. I have to say. You were waiting to say that, weren't you? I could feel the heat of your face here. (laughs) But I had this one big video that I wanted to film. It's too advanced for some people but too easy for others. But anyway, I started with that and I thought, right, before filming this video, what can I do firstly to help the audience? Secondly, to get favor with YouTube, because we always like that. The way I can do that is by giving supporting content to that video. So people want to cut a dovetail joint. Cool. They start cutting it. Oh, I don't know what saw I need to use. Good thing. I've already got a video for you on how to choose a saw. In fact, no, before that, I had how to use a saw. And then in that video on how to use a saw, I said, what saw do you need? So I had this entire backlog of videos that I already filmed and I already planned leading up to this video. Those ones at the very start, what sharpening stone should you use? What chisel should you use? In those videos, I break down all the specific terminology because then in later videos, I can then justify saying things like, I'm going to use this three eighth inch mortise chisel to cut out this joint people will be like right what makes a mortise chisel different from a firmer chisel or a bevel edge chisel but point being you're not saying three eighth inch mortise chisel in the title no there's still a separation but it's when you get in the video when you, you're happy to use the technicalities yeah. because you've got the background content to back you up exactly so it helps the audience because you've already got something prepared for them that's the biggest thing but by keeping them on youtube as well you get the favor of youtube which is like retention across multiple videos rather than one. Sure, there might be a drop-off if it's a really good recommendation because people are more captivated by that than your actual video, (laughs) but at least you're keeping them on YouTube. Does that one main video have what, you know, where you get the titles across the bottom that can link back to the other videos. Have you done that in those videos? So when you say three-eighths chisel of shape X, they can click through and go, what the is that? Yeah. And go back. There's a little card at the top corner that pops up every single time it's recommended. You can only have Amazing. five per video. But as a statistic on that, I, I don't know what it is at the moment, but I think it was around 1.7 million views last time I checked because that is Whoa. just such a hub of people being stuck on YouTube. Everything links to that because it then recommends people. Rob's having a look now. Um If I send someone to that video, like I can mention how to cut a dovetail joint in passing and just say, oh, by the way, if you want to do this, have a look at this video I've done. They go to that video and then all of a sudden they're stuck in a web of 20 others, 1.7 million. And it probably links into how to get a deadly sharp edge on a chisel, 1.1 million, how to get a stupidly sharp edge on a plane blade. 575,000. Notice I'm using quite down-to-earth terms in those titles as well. So how to get a stupidly sharp edge on a chisel. I want to know what it, what is stupidly sharp. How to get a deadly <laughs> sharp edge on a chisel. Well, we kind of know what that is, but how can we make it really deadly? Like I'm using <laughs> down-to-earth terms. Uh, I've got another one there. How to use a chisel correctly. It's not just how to use a chisel. It's how to use a chisel correctly. Because then even people who know how to use a chisel will be like, hang on. There's something here that I don't know. It's that curiosity factor. And actually, to come in. there's a little thing in it that I add that even professionals, they weren't aware of it. So it does deliver on that. It's not just clickbait, but 
there's little wording, uh, how to get silky smooth shavings from a plane. It's sort of triggering that satisfactory nerve that we all have. So a satisfying nerve, little things like that. Thanks for scrolling through that for me. No worries. <laughs> Does yeah. that all make sense? Well, it, more well, it, it, clearly, it clearly works because I mean, 1.7 million. I mean, that's only a small room of people, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're clearly getting loads of people, you know, clearly interested. So it's really interesting. Oh, it's 1% of attention. It's not that good. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So with that video, how to get silky smooth shavings from a plane, I could have titled that how to get a one micron thick shaving from a plane, which is good. That's what we all aspire to do. And actually, that is quite good. It's not, that's not it's bad. bad, but it's quite techy. And I think it would, there's there's no context on that. It's like, is one micron a lot? You've it's narrowed the niche quite a bit with that. Yeah, it's just worth thinking about how you could potentially dumb it down to a wider audience because the rest of us are pretty stupid. We don't know all these techie things like calisthenics and stuff. <laughs> we just want to know how to do cool things with our bodies. So how to do stupidly bendy things with your body. Alan's really excited about this. Uh, that's actually quite a good title. How to do... Wait, what was Stupidly it? bendy things how with your body. How to do cool things with your body. Stupidly bendy. How to do cool things. Yeah. Stupidly bendy bodies. <laughs> but going back to that calisthenics thing that's got high click-through rate and high retention, I think that is probably the barrier. It's just being recommended to people and they're like, yeah, this funny cat video here. I know what a cat is. It's going to be funny. Let's click that instead. <laughs> That's exactly where the calisthenics is going to line up in the subscription feed. Calisthenics <laughs> and cats. It's where I it's, always get caught, so I would know. Yeah, it's why you never got into the fitness, because you clicked on the cat video instead of the calisthenics techie video. Welcome to 2am <laughs> with Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, time has flown. There's been an unbelievable amount of content was there anything left on your list? Have you hit us with everything? Yeah, so a lot of it's based around the analytics towards the end, but I think being able to work out that specific example there and expand on that has actually covered a lot of these points sure. anyway. The only thing that we would wrap it up with, which again, we have said before, but just do it for the right reasons. Make sure you're helping out the audience. You're not doing it to try and get paid. You're not doing it because you feel obliged. Make sure that you're doing it for all the right reasons. And also try and get some money out at the same time. That's always quite fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it for that reason. So for those of you listening, Matt and Rob have done an incredible job of pulling this together in a document that you can have a look through. All you need to do is go to alandonigan.com forward slash YouTube, and you will find it there along with this series of episodes, which will help you guide through building a YouTube channel and getting going. So that's where you need to go, alandonigan.com forward slash YouTube to find that document, to get all the notes. Because I know even though I tried typing as fast as I could, I couldn't keep up with that. Uh, Rob and Matt, you defeated us with the amount of knowledge and information. Uh, you actually defeated the episode. Like, how can you squeeze that much value into an hour <laughs> of podcasting? I do not know. Gentlemen, you are absolute legends, and we cannot thank you enough for sharing so freely your advice, information. I just, I cannot thank you enough. It's been very fun to offload. I speak for <laughs> both of us when we say that. <laughs> we've got a lot of this stuff that we just sort of wanted to vomit out all over the world and we've just had our chance to do so. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think we said it in the first episode, but uh, while we say all these things, you might end up going to one or even both of our YouTube channels because I somehow still have one. Don't go and expect us to have managed to do all these things because we've researched them, we've found them, but like we said, it takes time and continuous improvement to implement them. 
not to mention you're going to forget stuff when you create the videos in the first place. You're like, oh, I've just released that. I should have said that. Never mind. Let me remember that for next time. So just remember, it's not going to be perfect first time. Always improve. That sounds like a fabulous ending. Andrew, do you have anything to say before we just sort of wrap up on that continuous improvement? It almost felt too perfect to interrupt that. That was that was quality. I will say something, though. Finish it with sharp, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob, thank you so much for that. I think, like I said, I have a lot to get through here. The whole continuous improvement bit as well, I think is something that really, really helps me rest easy because I'm looking at my notes, I'm looking at all the information you've already given and I'm like, oh my God, I need to put this in the next video. All of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm going to chunk this all up, take it piece by piece and see how I can start to apply this out because it's, it's interesting because especially when you talk about things like you, you see a video working well, so a small subset of people, YouTube obviously wants to push out to more people. How do we increase that snowball? How do we get that snowball rolling? How do we leverage what some other people have already done really, really well and take that and start to apply it to our, well, my very little YouTube channel? Because it's so easy to think, oh, well, the reason I'm not doing well or the reason I'm not as huge as some of these other YouTubers is because I don't have a million subscribers or I don't have this massive audience. But that's a bit of a cop out. Because you can literally apply some of these principles relatively easily. You don't have to apply them all, like you said. And yeah, it's about trying to take as much of these little things as possible and uh, apply them. And that's exactly what I'm going to do over the next couple of weeks and let you know what sticks. Fantastic. Amazing. I love that. So if you're listening to this right now, you have a huge amount of ideas. Stick as many as you can into your next video and start creating just start, just make it happen. You cannot get to version two until you've done version one. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a Rebel Entrepreneur.